And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, it's always a delight and pleasure to have you on with us. Thank you, Dan. Great to be back. You have written a lot about the wonderful missionary endeavors of William Carey, uh, the father of modern missions, so-called. I'm wondering today if you can share with us a little bit about his life and how the Lord used him and encourage our hearts in uh, missionary endeavors. Yes, well, you know, anybody who's ever tried to get involved in any missionary project or social project, pro-life endeavor, you're trying to make a difference in your community, we've, we've all gotten to a stage where we discouraged and frustrated or feel defeated in, in some way. Well, you know, William carries the absolute antidote for any feeling of discouragement. He was the most undereducated, underfunded, underestimated missionary ever, and he achieved so much. William Carey seemed to have everything against him. He was brought up in abject poverty in England. He never had the benefit of high school. His schooling ended roughly around grade six, uh, uh, and that was the formal schooling. However, William Carey had a thirst for knowledge. He read widely. He had a keen interest in nature. And his formal education might have ended in junior school, but by age 12, William Carey had taught himself Latin, and he went on to master honors in Greek, Hebrew, French, and Dutch. And he eventually became professor of Bengali, Sanskrit, and Marathi, these are all Asian languages, at the prestigious Fort William College in Calcutta, where civil servants were trained for the British Raj. So William Carey was extraordinary. He wasn't just the father of modern missions. He is the most prolific Bible translator in history. Uh, when we, we say Bible translator, I, I think, you know, any of us would be astounded that somebody could spend their life translating the Bible into any language and succeed. William Carey succeeded in translating the Bible into six Asian languages, complete Bibles, and New Testaments and Gospels into another 29 languages. This means that William Carey mastered over 35 languages because these are 35 Asian languages he translated the Bible into. But he also had mastered Greek and Hebrew, uh, French and Dutch, uh, in order to be able to, and Danish actually later too. So he actually mastered 40 languages. Talk about the gift of languages. I mean, William Carey just boggles the brain. And we're talking about 1790s that he started his missionary work. And so he didn't have typewriters. He didn't have computers. He didn't have lighter plate printing. Uh, in fact, he had to design the type printing blocks for the different Asian languages, which had different alphabets and many of which had never been put to print before. So uh, William Carey just is is astounding. And, uh, do you know, he had such sensitive skin uh, that he was told he could not be a gardener in England. So uh, he, he was told, oh, you've got to work inside. You can't, you can't ever go outdoors. And that's because the sun in England would be too much. He goes to Asia. He goes to India where the sun's a lot hotter. So yeah. uh, talk about beating the odds. And uh, and his achievements are all the more astounding when you consider his bold project to translate the scriptures amongst the Hindus in India was completely illegal. Not just illegal in India, illegal 
by the British Parliament. Mm. The British Parliament had actually passed the law making it illegal for any missionary to work in India without the permission of the British East India Company, which had said they won't allow any missionaries over there because it would interfere with their business, with their trading. They didn't want to upset the Hindus. Um, <laughs> I think people have heard of this before. We've got a bit of political correctness today, but uh, I think some people may be surprised to know that they had it back then too. Oh, you know, our business dealings with India is more important than the gospel going yeah. there. And so for the first 20 years of his missionary work, William Carey's mission was illegal in India. And he had to work under the protection of the Danish crown in a little Danish colony of Sarampal and uh, make forays into British-controlled India, the Raj uh, in order to do his illegal missionary work there. And it took 20 years for pressure from evangelical members of Parliament like William Wilberforce back in England to reverse Britain's policy and to compel the British East India Company to actually allow missionaries in India, and then he could actually work openly. So, uh, you know, astounding uh, what this man put up with. And uh, uh, William Carey, by the way, was, was known as a radical back in England. And it's partly your fault, I mean, you Americans, because... Do you know that during the American War of Independence, which was during his early life, he took the side of the Americans. Uh, you can imagine being <laughs> a British subject. He said, well, the Americans are quite right. Um, uh, our king is not upholding Magna Carta and our parliament is not uh, affording them the, their chartered rights as Englishmen overseas. And uh, uh, in view of Magna Carta 1215, which parliament and the king are sworn to uphold, uh, the the um, the uh, colonists uh, in revolt in America actually are in the right, and um, uh, we are wrong. So can you imagine how unbelievably unpopular that was <laughs> to take a position against your own country at war? Uh, but he went further than that. He would not uh, have sugar because sugar at that time was produced in the West Indies using slave labor. And oh, so yes. because of his opposition to slavery, he boycotted sugar. And so William Carey was considered a radical Anyway, and then uh, he got a bee in his bonnet about missions, and uh, uh, he actually preached this phenomenal message, and I'm, I'm sure you've all heard the term, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Well, that's the summary of this phenomenal sermon that he preached, which actually launched uh, the modern missionary movement. 31 May 1792 in Northampton, England. William Carey's sermon sparked the greatest century of missionary advance. Uh, it, it marked the entry of English-speaking world into missions, and since that time, English speakers have made up over 80% of the Protestant missionary workforce worldwide. The text of a sermon was Isaiah 54, verse 2 to 3. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen the stakes, for you shall expand to the right, and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make desolate cities inhabited. <laughs> and the, the final summary of this was expect great things, attempt great things. And his principle was God is great, honor God with great faith. Uh, do not uh, dishonor God by, by low, low attempts and low faith. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And his sermon was riveting. But the result was initially indecision. The people considered him an enthusiast, which was the word for fanatic back then. He is considered an embarrassment because he had a bee in his bonnet about missions. And an older pastor stood up and said, sit down, young man. 
sit down. You mm. are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. Mm. And so there were people who had the gift of criticism back then too. <laughs> the, uh, you know, you're not the right person, this isn't the right time, and so on. And, uh, and yet, you know, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are two parallel truths taught in Scripture. Yes. And you may not teach the one to do violence to the other. God is sovereign, but we are responsible for our actions and our decisions. And uh, we are commanded to take initiative. So William Carey actually then wrote a book called An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. We've summarized it now. We just call it An Inquiry. But this was the book, the prototype pioneer missionary book, which uh, Patrick Johnson of Operation World accredits as the first true Operation World, the first true survey of the world's missionary needs. And uh, uh, William Carey uh, wrote in this book on the need, on the scriptures, and he summarized what missionary work had been done up to then, which was actually uh, shamefully little. And, uh, and then he started to put a checklist in section five on what you need for missions and how to do it. And he took Acts 13 as the model. Acts 13, you've got a praying church, you've got the elders praying and fasting before the Lord, and then they opened the Lord's guidance to set apart two of their best, Barnabas and Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, to go on a first prototype mission. And uh, once Barnabas and Paul set out on their first missionary uh, outreach, they effectively formed a mission society because they hired and fired uh, people. They, they employed everyone from John Mark through to Titus and Silas and so on. And they were effectively operating like a mission agency in the field, although they reported back to the sending church. So he saw in Acts 13 a model for, for missions. And uh, uh, this was actually quite astounding because this was the prototype mission society. It was denominational initially. Um, it was called the Particular Calvinist Baptist Society for Propagating the Gospel Amongst the Heathen. <laughs> they weren't into snappy titles back then, uh, but it was descriptive. Their first collection was 13 pounds, two shillings and sixpence. And with that 13 pounds, two shillings and sixpence, they launched the first missionary society and went to India. And William Carey went to India with his young, growing family, and he never went home, never took a furlough. 42 years he served in the field. He died and is buried in India. And uh, talk about putting his hand to the plow and not looking back. So what an amazing example. He actually transformed the nation. So when he stepped ashore in India, India was in a terribly, terribly degraded state. 11th of November, 1793, he stepped ashore in Calcutta in India at that stage, if an infant was sick, it was assumed he is under the influence of an evil spirit. So a sick infant was hung outside in a basket, exposed to elements. And if they're still alive in the morning, well, maybe we shall think of what to do with them then. And uh, Kerry documented finding the remains of a baby that had been offered as a sacrifice to be eaten alive by white ants. Mm. And at the Sagamala, where the Ganges River flows in the sea, he saw mothers throwing their babies into the sea to drown or to be devoured by crocodiles as a holy sacrifice to the mother Ganges. He undertook thorough research into the numbers, the nature, the reason for this infanticide, this killing of babies. And he published reports, and the government was not interested. And uh, he print presented petitions to the government. He mobilized people overseas. And this, uh, in fact... In 1802, when the British government outlawed infanticide, it was the first time they were willing to interfere directly with the religious practice in India, which set the 
precedent for abolishing other practices. Hinduism had a very low view of women. It was said in Hinduism, there's no salvation for a woman unless she's reincarnated as a man. Mm. Her only hope lay in serving men in complete subjection. Many female babies were smothered, strangled, drowned at birth. Girls were married as young as four years old. Widows were perceived as bad omens who brought about the death of the husband. A widow was seen as a liability and that she was, her usefulness had, had uh, ended when her husband died. So bereaved widows were encouraged to actually submit to suti or immolation, to be burned alive on the funeral pyre of a husband. Oh. And so children who just lost their father would lose their mother as well and be total orphans. This was Hinduism. Tens of thousands of widows were burned alive in the funeral pyre of their husbands. On one occasion, Kerry documented 33 wives of one man burned alive at his funeral. 33. On another occasion, there was an 11-year-old widow burned on the funeral pyre of her husband, 11 years old. Mm. Lepers were rejected by the family and burned alive because Hinduism taught that only a violent, fiery end could purify the body and ensure transmitigation of the soul into a healthy new existence in your next reincarnation, you know, yeah. improve your karma. So euthanasia was widely practiced on those afflicted by sicknesses. The infirmed were regularly left by the riverside, left exposed to cold and heat and crocodiles and insects. And William Carey, as a missionary, got involved in all these fights. He fought against child prostitution, slavery, the caste system. He publicly criticized the British government for inaction and passivity in the face of murder. He organized public debates, he wrote out, he spoke out on these atrocities, and he met with indifference initially. The Indian Supreme Court in 1805 said, Sati has religious sanction, it cannot be questioned. And William Carey then established the first newspaper ever published in Oriental language, the Samarkar Darpan, an English newspaper, Friends of India, which is still being published, actually. And William Carey pioneered mass communication in India. He launched the social reform movement. Because he said, above all forms of truth and faith, Christianity seeks free discussion, mm. free marketplace of ideas. And so he was the first man to stand up against the brutal murders and widespread oppression of women through female infanticide, through child marriage, through polygamy, through enforced female illiteracy. The Hindus said, why would you need to teach a woman to read? It's no more necessary for a woman to read than for a cow to read. I mean, quote, unquote. Widow burning forced euthanasia on old people. He conducted the research. He published his writings. He raised protests in Bengal and in England. And by God's grace, people like William Wilberforce were his allies in Parliament back in England, campaigning on the other side. So he was in the field. And he, because he had mastered so many languages, he became the most knowledgeable person in the world in, in Oriental languages. And so the, the uh, British government actually asked this illegal missionary in Sarampo to travel through to Fort William College uh, several days a week to lecture their civil servants. And he got to train an entire generation of civil servants through his lecture at Fort William College because he, he was made the professor of Bengali, Sanskrit, Marathi. So nobody knew the Oriental languages better than him. And so they, they literally invited him. So at one of the functions, one of the uh, governor's uh, wives or one of the wives of one of the top uh, officials um, uh, tried to embarrass him in front of everyone and said, oh, Mr. Carey, I believe that back in England you were a shoemaker. <laughs> His answer was, no, ma'am, I was just a cobbler. <laughs> a shoemaker makes shoes. He, he was too poor for that. He just 
repaired shoes. <laughs> I was just a cobbler. <laughs> How can you insult a man who takes your insult and, and takes it even further? <laughs> so, That's right. Um, William Keir was a, was a humble man. Well, today we're talking about this wonderful man, William Carey, that God used. And our guest today is Dr. Peter Hammond. Uh, he is a missionary. He's done amazing work and distribution of Bibles behind enemy lines and everything. And William Carey just has been used of God. And uh, Peter, as you were talking, uh, several things stood out. Um, how that the British government at the time was against uh, what he was doing and yet it looks like he then aligned himself under another authority, um, the Danish protection. And I found that very interesting. Did that stand out to you as well? It did, because it also reminds you that uh, the great reformers had some kind of political protection. Ulrich Swingley was protected by the mayor of Zurich and the city council there. Uh, Martin Luther was protected by Prince Frederick the Wise in Sax- of Saxony. And... Uh, uh, it, it seems that uh, uh, John Wycliffe, the Morning Star of the Reformation, professor of Oxford University, translated the English New Testament. Uh, uh, he was protected by Queen Anne of England and uh, also by John of Gaunt, one of the princes of the realm. And so often it seems that if you uh, – this is like the doctrine of the lesser magistrate where you can get right. a um, – uh, a higher authority may be in rebellion to God, but a lower authority, another magistrate – is in submission to God and resists this tyrannical force. I think the reformers put it this way uh, in the book Lex Rex, uh, The Law is King, that as as you owe allegiance to your king, your king owes allegiance to the king of kings, and if your king is in rebellion to the king of kings, do not join him in his rebellion. Find a lesser magistrate that you can be in submission to. And so uh, it shows we're not called to be lawless, but if we are forced to decide between God and man, we must answer like the apostle Peter, we must obey God rather than man. Yeah, and the, it's wonderful. And the other thing that really strikes me is um, this statement, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Uh, he wasn't, um, he wasn't um, um, oblivious to to the problems and, you know, the tireless toil in India, and and I believe uh, he labored for a long time without a single convert, and yet um, he believed that God's great commission was was true, and he, and he went forward based on that, right? Indeed. In fact, it's absolutely extraordinary. He labored seven years without a single convert, <laughs> and when his first convert uh, came to Lord, uh, he was not discouraged. He said that the divine grace which changed one Hindu's heart is obviously able to change a hundred thousand. Amen. And so he praised God that he was the first fruits. And he said, we're not working at uncertainty. We're not afraid for the results. Christ's cause must triumph. Christ must reign until Satan has not one inch of territory. And so he had a great eschatology of victory. He saw the prophecies in the Bible. He saw the promises in the Psalms. He understood uh, what the scriptures were teaching and said, the Lord who has given us the Great Commission will enable us to fulfill this Great Commission. That every command comes with conditions, but every command comes also with promises. And uh, we do not work on our own. When we work for God, we work with God. And all the promises come in the light of, you know, 
go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You must tarry until the power from above has fallen upon you. Go and preach repentance and faith in his name to all nations. As the Father sent me, so send are you. And he breathed in them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the, the Lord said that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he showed that every part of the Great Commission is linked to promises. And that we're not trusting in our own strength and abilities. Uh, when we go in God's work, we work not just for God, but with God. Mm. And uh, another thing that stood out that I, I read from your article um, and today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, is this um, soft uh, yet strong passion he had in his heart to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You wrote that um, he'd be teaching his students geography, and he would come to tears, and he would he would be so burdened saying, these are the pagans, pagans. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yes, uh William Carey obviously was a person who deeply, deeply cared, and he uh, he loved the people that God had called him to minister amongst. Yeah. Do you know he started over 100 Christian schools for mm. over 8,000 Indian children of all castes and both genders, both male and female, unprecedented. He started the first schools for girls in Asia and the first Christian college in all of Asia at Sarampo. Uh, and so, yes, this was somebody who was deeply concerned for winning souls. And he became such a phenomenal linguist. God obviously gave him a gift of languages. Yeah. Uh, but but to think he could master so many languages and be involved in so many Bible projects, but he still had time for the people on the street, for the schools, winning souls to Christ, seeing that the young children are, are educated in the Word of God. So, yes, it started out with him being, he was a shoemaker. He couldn't make enough money uh, being a, a, a shoemaker, he was also a teacher. He couldn't make enough money to survive being a teacher in this poor town. So he he was somebody who was uh, always working as uh, doing several things at once. Even when he went to India, there wasn't enough money support from the mission base in England for it to keep him there. So he had to have a full time job uh, running an indigo plantation uh, as a manager uh, while he was working at night to master language and on the weekends to to plant churches and, and win people to the Lord. So mm. what what a hardworking, diligent person. Never took a furlough in 42 years. And uh, um, he uh, had this idea that when you go to the field, uh, God calls you to go. He doesn't call you to go back. So he had no temptation to go back to England. I don't know that the man ever took a holiday. It's like everything was just <laughs> bought in India for 42 years. So what an example, Father of Modern Missions. Yeah, you know, and, and there's another thing that stood out, too, as you're talking. You're, you mentioned the newspaper he started. You also mentioned how he influenced government in godly ways, okay? And and today there's a movement afoot, some people call it the two-kingdom view, uh, where it says, basically, you know, you've got the Christian gospel, but there's very little intersection with all the other disciplines of life. Um, you know, politics and education and this and that, the other thing. Um, he apparently saw it as as a, as a one kingdom. Jesus is overall, oh, and yes. there's no reason not to try to influence this world for good so that people can thrive. That That's right. So, uh, for example, 
Uh, he is the first man to lead a campaign for the humane treatment of leprosy. He ended the practice of burning lepers alive. Yeah. It was his campaign for 25 years against Sati that led to the famous edict, which is still called Kerry's Edict in, in India, 1829, banning widow burning. And so here's the man who did this. And uh, I think it was well put when somebody is complaining about uh, you doing too much uh, uh, for people's bodies, you should be more concerned for their souls. And the comment was, well, souls are more or less firmly attached to bodies and <laughs> that, that God made us body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And so we're meant to minister to the mind through education and writings. We're meant to minister to the soul through preaching and we are to minister body through medical and, and agricultural and other ways. So he actually introduced the study of astronomy into India because he saw the people were fatalistic by their belief in astrology. Mm -hmm. Yes. He taught them astronomy. Now, astrology is reading the stars, you know, what's my star say? And the superstitious fears leads to an inability to manage time and very destructive behavior. But, but while astrology makes you a subject, astronomy can make you a ruler to devise calendars, identify directions, study oh, yes. geography, plan your life, bed and work. William Peer is the first man to actually pioneer forestry conservation. 50 years before the British government made its first attempts at forest conservation, he was a pioneer. He practiced conservation. You know why? Because he knew that if we're going to chop down trees to make paper for Bibles and books, I must plant more trees. He never oh, chopped down so trees without planting two more. Today we're, so he, he led the way in forestry conservation. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. We've got a half a minute left. Peter, take, take the half a minute. Tell the folks about Frontline Fellowship. Well, if you want to read more about William Carey and 19 other great uh, missionaries of the 19th century, I've written a book, The Greatest Century of Missions. You can uh, visit our website, frontlinemissionsa.org. So it's frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, our email is mission at frontline.org.za. We've been going 38 years helping persecute churches working throughout Africa. Uh, Bible distribution, Bible teaching is our heart and soul of this work. And uh, yes, mission at frontline.org.today or frontlinemissionsa.org. And uh, dear listener, please pray also for uh, the director of Frontline Fellowship, who is Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, my dear brother, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. God bless. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. was born for thee, Christ was born for thee. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the to save, cause you one and cause you all to gain his everlasting all. Christ was born to save.